0: Hello and welcome to Dirty Laundry season two. My name is Tara Stewart. I am a DJ and presenter of the new music show on 2FM. In this series, I'll be exploring all things slow fashion and sustainability. I love clothes, like love, 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 love clothes. It's my way of expressing myself, but the way I and so many others consume it has to change. So I wanna learn more about the world of slow fashion. I'm gonna be inviting guests I think are doing great things in their field. And I wanna bring you on this journey with me so we can come away with a new fountain of knowledge and maybe make some changes to our lifestyle. In this episode, I talk to editor and broadcaster Anne-Marie Tomchuk, originally hailing from Longford. She has an extensive CV, being a former editor at Vogue and Mashable. She launched BBC Trending and started her very inspiring career in RTE. Right now, she's working in Glamour UK, investigating and writing about some really fascinating topics that many people aren't talking about. In this chat over Zoom, we take a look back at her time as digital editor at Vogue, and working in fashion during a time when this industry is rapidly changing, as we know it. You are in Glamour, the UK, and what's happening there and how is it all going?
1: Yeah, so I've been working as a contributing editor with Glamour, and that means that I've been taking on some pretty uh, big features for them, producing original journalism on topics that are, I feel are quite socially relevant. So, for example, we've been... Um, keeping across uh, issues like domestic violence during lockdown. You know, it's a a really important issue. I've been interviewing women who are in shelters, uh, domestic abuse survivors, some of the key stakeholders who are really working hard to try to provide um, accommodation and help and funding for people who are who find themselves in you know, a situation that's untenable. It's a really dangerous time for a lot of people who are living in an unsafe environment. So it's you know, one area that I've been looking at a lot during my time in Glamour, and I've been really enjoying working with that team because it's a digital first proposition. Uh, Deborah Joseph is the editor-in-chief she's a fantastic editor she's someone who I really um, respect and admire and we're speaking directly to the audience um, I've been really enjoying that there's quite a fun tone of glamour but then they also um, tackle some really um, serious issues and one area that they've been doing a lot on is around Uh, finance and money. So, you know, we're hearing all sorts of stories from young women around their pensions, around their savings, around what they've done since they've been furloughed and sometimes going into like uncomfortable territory, you know, Uh, the stories that um, you you might hear uh, or chat to with your friends in the pub, but actually you can read about them then on Glamour as well. So I've been really enjoying that. This year, I also, I interviewed some women who I'd met in Gaza last year. I'd gone on a, a humanitarian trip to Gaza and um, I kept in touch with them. And so I interviewed, I interviewed them about dealing with um, the pandemic during, you know, while living in a conflict zone. So I've been doing work that I've been finding um, extremely fulfilling and really rewarding and uh, really enjoying it
0: in previous interviews um you've talked a lot about this and so i mean i think maybe you've already touched on it i was going to ask you do you think fashion platforms can effectively write or publish important social issues and
1: i think you probably can definitely i mean i think if you look at what glamour is doing now and what um is doing they're like the two that are most recent to me so they're the ones i follow most closely they certainly can. There's a real power there with what they can do in terms of using their voice um, and their platform to reach an audience. You know, it's going to be different than how um, a newsroom would do it. Let's say, like they're, they're different, they're two different beasts. But I think that there's something very powerful about what um, these titles can do. And I think that um, what Glamour has been doing is they're speaking very, very directly to their audience and they're using their platform to inform uh, their audience you know I'm here in London I live in East London I feel very lucky to have worked with lots of different cultures and being being in a very globalized environment but I have to remember as a journalist that I'm serving a range of different people who are not the same as me Mm. and you know I feel a sense of responsibility as a journalist and an editor to try to make sure I keep myself in the mindset of someone who lives in a diff- totally different part of the uk who's a very Im- valuable and important member of my audience who might not know much about the black lives matter movement who might not see any solidarity protests happening on their own doorstep who might the internet might be their only uh, bit of access to information about that you know they may be going on to glamour to look up um you know something about the latest manicure or uh, tips on how to do an at-home facial during lockdown something like that Mm. but then while they're in that space they will also encounter other content like how um you know if you're feeling uncomfortable now as a white person that's a good thing and here's why and it's about putting content that might actually challenge your audience and open their eyes and they will learn a little bit more not in a patronizing way either no no and so i think that uh, there's this idea that beauty or fashion are in some way trivial and i think that you know as someone who would consider themselves a pretty discerning journalist i also love fashion Mm. you know and those two things are not necessarily mutually exclusive you know the, the the woman who loves beauty and fashion can also really be socially and culturally engaged and they're not necessarily independent of one another in fact i think they're inextricably linked Mm -hmm. i mean and so coming on
0: to fashion and sustainable and ethical fashion um what has it been like to have seen the interest in sustainable and ethical fashion rise over the past few years as um someone who's been in the like media industry and coming from i guess mashable and vogue and now glamour
1: yeah i think that um if I I think back to even five years ago, um, the idea of uh, sustainable fashion, I think often felt like it was the preserve of the elite. You know, I don't wanna name names, um, but there are certain um, celebrities who run very prestigious uh, newsletters and so on. And you think of women with a lot of disposable income who have the time, uh, to be educated about these things and then they have the disposable income to actually purchase what are quite expensive uh, luxury sustainable items but I think what's happened um, over the last few years is that like what I was saying about people becoming much more socially aware about human rights and equality um, gender equality racial equality trans rights people are also much more uh, eco-conscious now um, you know, we've seen the climate change report. We've watched um, David Attenborough on the BBC, and we've seen the impact of ocean plastics. You know, these stories are have been they've been brought to light in different spaces. We're seeing them in different spaces. We've seen uh, natural disasters happen, and uh, we can actually see with our own eyes that the climate is changing. Mm-hmm. With that, you look at then what is the root at the root of. Uh, The problem and fashion is actually a really big part of that, and so it's really posed a lot of questions. You know, it's this whole issue around sustainability is not just about protecting the environment; it's it's actually about human rights as well. You know, if you look at the supply chains and the treatment of garment workers, you know, look at what happened with the the garment workers in Bangladesh, and just terrible tragedies happening because people are not. Being treated right, and uh, you know, they're working in very unregulated environments, they're not getting paid fairly, there's exploitation happening. But then, also on the luxury side, I think people are really reevaluating this is happening on, on all ends of the spectrum. We're seeing um, a change in mindset around what is luxury, the concept of luxury as a, a construct is changing now. Um, in the past, it might have been to have the latest bag and to have a very extensive wardrobe and there's a part of fashion that is still that and that that i'm not making a value judgment about it because i think that for some people fashion is like creating an archive you know it's actually like becoming being a collector mm. so you know i don't want to make a value judgment about that because there's value in that but i think that in terms of um consumption we're look we're seeing that there is some shift in mindset i know for myself i can speak from personal experience um, my relationship with clothes and my attitude to luxury has changed and that's a relatively recent thing um, you know over the last few years um, and i think that's about that's a direct result of learning a little bit more about what these things mean and what you what you value and what you represent and I think the pandemic has had a deep impact on that as well. So I'm, I put on a dress for our interview and most of the time I'm in yoga gear at home. But I do <laughs> value in dressing a certain way because there's a psychology in that. And there's a there's a merit to it. Uh, it can't just be trivialized and explained away as just something um, that is um, not important because it is.
0: And how has your relationship with it changed recently? Like, what, what did did you change? Maybe your shopping habit, or was it more so just your mindset?
1: I think both. Um, I definitely um am much more discerning when I'm shopping. Um, I'm just more reluctant to. uh, I guess I think about. I think it's about reading the room. I think it's about thinking about dressing appropriate to the mood. As well and thinking but also wanting to still be yourself you know mm. we all want to be ourselves and express ourselves through clothes as well so I think it's about having a balance because fashion is so fun and it can be such a great distraction and um, makeup is the same and so you know I feel sad to see it vilified as well but we also need to hold a mirror up to it and acknowledge that there are a lot of problems there that need to be addressed mm. while celebrating some of the brilliant things uh, about fashion and beauty.
0: And how can fashion media platforms both rely on advertising in the way it does and effectively join the conversation around ethics and sustainability, do you think?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Such a brilliant question. And I think this was one of the big things um, as someone who went from a public service broadcasting background primarily into a much more commercial um, background that had a very big advertising component. Um, I think that. I think that advertising has an influence to an extent, but I still think at the end of the day, um, yes, advertising does have an influence, um, but you can still maintain independence editorially. So for example, um, I'm trying to think of a really good example for you. Um, I think nowadays the audience will notice if you uh, turn a blind eye they will notice, you know, the audience won't be tolerant of that. So I think that um, the onus is on um, fashion houses and on the industry and on platforms and publishers to report on these issues in a very transparent way. And I think that what's happening is we are now faced with all of these issues that uh, as journalists we've never really had before. So I think a lot of journalists are learning um, uh, about how to really report with rigor about issues like sustainability. Mm -hmm. And I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how that unfolds in the next few years. Like look at Condé Nast, for example, they've just released a sustainability glossary. Now that's because editors uh, have contributed the key, uh, key elements that the audience and publishers can understand. And the fact that that glossary exists shows that there is a gap there that needs to be filled. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really important. There's a lot of greenwashing and things that are being marketed as sustainable. And it's almost like the word sustainable is now becoming this dirty word, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's a loaded thing and people are latching onto it in a way that's um quite cynical. So the audience, the consumer are gonna are becoming more discerning, but also the publishers and the journalists are have to maintain that rigor and independence. Mm-hmm. And I think it's challenging. I'm not gonna lie and give you some kind of, um, you know, answer around that. That It would just be disingenuous of me to say that advertising doesn't have an impact, uh, it definitely does. That's just because when you're working in a commercial environment, you're running a business. And that's just a fact.
0: It kind of surprises me that the government aren't, why are they more involved? Because there are so many big brands that greenwash and why are there not more um, regulations on that?
1: So well, this is a classic question I think that keeps coming up over and over again, and these are conversations that are that are happening also here in the UK, where you you know, the fault line of responsibility. It, there's a question mark over who who's actually responsible for this. You know, is it corporate responsibility? Do the, do we need to see more transparency in the industry, or is it up to regulators and the state to bring in, let's say, levies, for example, or um, specific requirements that different um, manufacturers or retailers need to adhere to. And I think it's a classic question because from what I can see, a lot of them are passing the book from one to another. It's like, and I think it's a collect, my personal view on it is it, is that it's a collective responsibility. Um, it's not going to happen just by government taking over. Yeah. Um, it needs to be a cross industry movement. And I think that it could be even something quite simple, like let's say when the plastic bag levy came in, often these changes actually take a while, but the plastic bag levy meant that people then started buying their bag for life. And, you know, let's not even go into the issues around those because are they actually more sustainable? And there's a whole, I won't open a can of worms on that. I think that, um, you know, single use plastic. Let's talk about clothes hangers. Mm. Uh, You could think about that or the way that, uh, the, the materials that are used to send items that are ordered online, uh, the, the packaging, you know, it could be just something like that, that can make a really meaningful difference.
0: So do you think that's probably why a lot of these brands aren't really doing anything because they're like, but I don't really have to.
1: I think what happens eventually, Mm -hmm. though, is that they do have to because the consumers will dictate uh, with their pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's what will happen. And it's so complicated, though. Um, Yeah. It really is because, you know, the consumers might dictate to a degree, but you you are going to have people who will still want to purchase clothing at a a value uh, at a budget price point. Mm -hmm. And. I think it's really important not to shame people about that. Oh, absolutely no. not. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at the queues that were uh, outside, so I won't name the, the store, but there were queues outside some of the fast fashion um, retailers mm. after lockdown restrictions had eased. And there's a lot of criticism around that. But I think that, you know, doing criticising that is like criticising people for not eating healthily. And, um, you know, it's like shaming people for eating fast food when a lot of the reasons why people consume in certain ways is either a socioeconomic thing or it's down to the education they have or what their preferences are, you know, or what they have access to at a given time, what they have budget for. There's like a whole range of reasons why certain things happen. So I think that educating, I mean, I'm a firm believer in education being the key starting point Mm -hmm. from when kids are really young understanding what the clothes that they wear and how that impacts the planet like that would be a really powerful thing mm. um more so than so then they them as consumers can make informed and empowered choices
0: and, and like i and i agree with you with the pie street shops and the queues um and i saw a lot of people like people taking videos of people queuing you know obviously i'm really passionate about sustainability um but at the same time i'm like i'm never going to shame someone that can't that that has to go like, I mean you've got something like pennies where they've got their basics and they don't sell online so like there's been three months that people haven't been able to af- get really affordable cheap basic things and so I just find it um I don't know I don't like that shaming part
1: yeah like, I, it makes it. me very uncomfortable I think the idea mm. of shaming people it has an element of some kind of level of superiority on the mm-hmm. end of the person who's shaming and it's making a value judgment without really under, seeking to understand the root of that consumer <clears throat> behavior. Do you think COVID-19 will see a change in how we consume fashion and how, and do you know how? You know what? I wish I knew exactly how this is all going to unfold. I have a few theories on how it will be impacted, how fashion will be impacted. You know, I think on the one hand, economically speaking, People will have less economic power. If you look in the UK alone, in April, the economy shrank by 20%. We have not yet seen the economic ramifications of what lies ahead. So that's inevitably going to impact spending power. But it's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario because the spending power of the consumer is what keeps the economy going. And so, you know, the Chancellor of the Exchequer here was encouraging people to get out there and get shopping because we need to stimulate growth and keep the economy going. And the fashion industry in London alone is, you know, I think it's in the top 10 industries here in terms of uh, its value to the economy. So it's enormously valuable, both in terms of the jobs that people hold and then the consumers and production. So it's really valuable in that, in that sense. So That's one, economic. Uh, Who knows, though, whether people are going to start just saying, sod it, I've only one life to live and I'm going to go and buy a Chanel handbag. Who knows? Mm. But I think that people will, the reality is they'll have less money to spend or they will decide to spend it in a more discerning way. Secondly, I think our values, we've had this extraordinary time to evaluate what's important to us. And I think that that's going to run twofold. I think that, this might change fashion in the way that, let's say, for example, um, in the 1920s and then in the 1940s and 50s, we saw fashion after a period of recession, right after the Great Recession and after the wars, fashion was inherently impacted by the necessities of the time. So, it, for example, you know, during periods of recession, um, after the war, uh, hemlines changed and that's either to do with saving fabrics or dressing more modestly you know there are different reasons social cultural and economical around the the trends so I think that the trends are going to be impacted by that and how people feel what people feel is appropriate it goes back to what I was saying about my values have changed I'm less likely to wear something that's overtly branded as a designer high luxury item and more likely to wear something that's um more discreet and that's just my own personal choice but I just feel that's more appropriate at the time mm-hmm. because so many people have lost their jobs and I just feel like would it be a little bit tone deaf to uh rock you know um uh, a handbag worth thousands of pounds mm-hmm. but that's just my own personal choice and I'm not making a value judgment on anyone else who decides to use fashion to express themselves so I think that some people will be wrestling with that uh, they'll also be wrestling with whether or not they want to spend any more whether what's important to them now. You know, they've had more time at home. They've had time with their families. They've had time to get to know their neighbours. They've possibly had um, lost their jobs or they've possibly lost loved ones. So that's inevitably going to have a big impact. on. The, or they've had COVID and they've recovered and they it has deeply impacted their health. You know, mm. this is the other thing we're not talking about. If you they'll have, have to. survived it. There are all sorts of, of um, there's a residue there that we, do, we don't know how that's going to impact people physically. But then on the other hand, right, as I say all of this, on the other hand, maybe people are gonna have this reawakening and a renaissance and be like, right, well, we haven't been able to party for the last three months. So let's you know rip the floodgates open, let's put on as much you know, designer gear, whatever we can do, and let's express ourselves in the most ostentatious manner possible. And again, that could be like a celebration and a Mm -hmm. form of expression. So I think that it remains to be seen what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that thousands of people have died. This is like a huge travesty. This is terrible. Mm -hmm. And so that is inevitably going to affect uh, society and how we think and what we do. Do you
0: think that sparse fashion will ever change? And if so, how will it change?
1: I think it has to change. I think that if we want to, if we love the planet and we want our future generations to grow up in a healthy environment where they can thrive, then this has to change. I don't have any children yet, but you know what, one of the things I'll be thinking about is what kind of world are they coming into? Mm. What can I teach them? And, you know, even just on a very practical level, the economy, what their job prospects are and, uh, you know, what way is the climate going to go this we're we are destroying this planet and fast fashion is one part of that. Mm. That moment of joy, that dopamine hit. I think the question is, is that dopamine hit you get from a new item that actually isn't recyclable because it's made from from materials that are uh, so synthetic that they can't actually even you know if they, they go to landfill there's no other uh, space for them after that
0: god it's, it's such a complicated situation isn't it
1: it is it's really complicated and it doesn't change the fact that fashion is a joyous uh, amazing thing that mm. can really um aid people's identity and social mobility and the happiness, there's mm. so many other parts to it. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the problems around fast fashion are things that we really need to wise up to.
0: Well, guys, that's it for this week's episode. Coming up next week, I chat to Wexford born fashion designer Richard Malone. He moved to London to study at Central St. Martin's and he recently won the International Walmart Prize. His designs are made from fully sustainable, ethical, and recycled materials. And he is making true change in the fashion industry, not just through his designs, but also through partnering with farmers in Tamil Nadu and in India, where farmland has become barren due to mass production. We talk about this and more next week. I'll talk to you then.